0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel Galveston. Bread for the, broken. the best
1: thing that the church could be is to be just like a kid. I don't know about saying you just like shirk responsibility or you ignore that or you like pretend it's not there. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying I want to put my faith, my hope, and my trust into the ruler of the world. I mean, is is He not the best thing ever? Will He provide for us? Is He the Good Shepherd, as John chapter 10 tells us? Can we trust Him to provide for us daily bread?
0: We can. Is your faith in the Lord childlike? As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he teaches you the importance of coming to God as a child would. Children are dependent on their caregivers. They don't stress and stew over whether or not their needs are going to be met. They have a faith and expectation that they can put their trust into their caregivers. Likewise, Pastor James encourages us to be the same way in our walk with God. Keep that awe, wonder, and reliance on God. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 9, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Venture into this really interesting portion of scripture—a journey to Jerusalem. We pick up in verse thirty. It Says they went from there, so now you have context. And they pass through Galilee because they're going to—they're heading south. Uh, although, if you go to Jerusalem, um, you never—you he- never head down to Jerusalem. You always head up to Jerusalem, and it doesn't matter from what direction you're coming. You always go up to Jerusalem. Okay, that's just how it is. Tour guides will tell you that when you go there, you always ascend. Up to Jerusalem, it says he did not want anybody to know. So he's heading to Jerusalem, and, and Jesus says, "Focus." He, he's on the he's on the the Father's timeline, and so he's like, "I got to get to Jerusalem. These things have to happen." Verse thirty-one it says he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, "The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise." You can't get more specific than that, right? I mean, Jesus is like, "Listen." The religious guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, they are going to, and one of you, he's even going to tell them in a few days after this little story, he's like, one of you is going to sell me out, by the way. He's like, but these these guys are going to take me and they're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. I think that that would probably stick within my head and my heart, right? Like, like, he's going to die. But what's this like coming back from the dead? That's interesting. Nobody ever talks like that. But that never even settled within their hearts. It doesn't settle within the hearts because all they hear is the death thing, and that's common for people, right? Death is something that weighs on all of our consciousness, in one sense. And I mean, we don't want to die. I don't assume you want to die, and if you do, we need to talk. Um, we, need to, we need to work through that, but I know what's coming. I know what's, what heaven is better, but death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. When Adam sinned in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. What was ushered in was sin and death. Jesus is talking about, I'm going to die. They're going to take me. They're going to crucify me. But I'm going to raise from the grave. Three days later, I'll rise. Verse 32, he says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So this is now the, probably the second time that they're being told this exact same information. Part of this is they're listening to him say this, and, and, and it, it is grieving them. It really is grieving them because they've dedicated three years of their lives to follow Jesus. They left their businesses, successful businesses. Peter and uh, Andrew, James and John, very successful fishermen, you know, and they take over their, their father's fishing business if they wanted to, never have an issue or worry in their lives because not only were they, I mean, they had servants. That means that you're really successful, but they, they, they left all that stuff to follow this guy. And so after three years, you're telling me, you're going to die? Well, then what do we do? And we know that that's what they're thinking because as he's trying to tell them, I got to go to die and raise again, all they can talk about is who's the best one in the bunch. That's all they can talk about. And, there, and it, what, what we're told in, this, in Mark's gospel um, I can promise you, if you go and if you read through Luke's account, this is not the first time that they talk about this. Okay, they will have this exa- the same exact argument amongst themselves, not even days later. And not only that, there are two disciples, James and John. They bring Mama into the mix. I don't know if they brought her in or she just kind of butted into it. I don't know, but. She's asking Jesus, which one of my boys is going to sit at your right hand and your left hand, right? So obviously this was an issue that was going on. And when we're so concerned about our position and our authority, we miss so much of what Jesus has to say to us. When we're so just like enamored with promotion and, man, am I being seen? Am I being seen? Am I getting the proper you know, viewership and and all this good stuff. And do people recognize me as the leader that I am? You're going to miss out on so much that Jesus has to say to you. He's not all that concerned with, you know, your prestige in leadership. I want you to be a good leader, but Jesus would rather you be a servant. And that's what he's going to drill down into their hearts today and ours as well. So that's the little setup. Now let's go into, Jesus is going to call them out on this, right? They go to Capernaum. That's in the Galilee region, verse 33. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? And really, it's what were you arguing about on the way? Okay, as if they could hide it. And they do try to hide it from him because it says, but they kept silent for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Oh, it's a classic. Um, yes, you got 12 guys who he hand-selected, he hand-picked these guys, not because of their talents, not because they're the best in all of Israel. He selected them purposely to show like, I'm going to show the world that I can use foolish things to accomplish great things. And they missed that lesson totally. They'll get it later on in life. But at this moment, they're like, we are the greatest thing. Now we need to figure out amongst ourselves who's the best. Who's the best? How great? You know, which one of us is the best? Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us will be on your right hand when you set up your your kingdom and your authority and your rule and your reign? Because every king has somebody who sits on the right hand. And also, oftentimes, somebody who would sit on his left hand as well. And these people would co-rule to a certain extent, not having the authority that the one in the middle chair has, but they would have authority as well. And so they're fighting amongst themselves as to who will occupy his right and his left. And Jesus even told his, their mama, he's like, um, that that cup they can't drink from. You want them on my right hand and my left hand? well, what we know days, technically a few weeks from this story, and even more so from that story when their mom showed up in this, in, in, with, you know, asking those questions, Jesus was referencing the fact that like, well, there will be somebody on my right hand, and there'll be somebody on my left hand, and there'll be two thieves that are crucified next to me. You need to understand what you're asking for. And they, and they will, and, and they will, and he even elaborated more on that, talking about, yeah, they, they will suffer as well. I mean, that's, a, that's part of it. But these guys are like, which one of us is the best? And then when Jesus calls them out on it, as he should, they, they, like, they're not saying anything. They're not going to say anything, Right? I think they've learned some lessons by watching Peter because every time he says something, he seems to get in trouble. And so Peter's like, I'm not talking, I'm not. He maybe he's not talking because he thinks like, well, I am the best, but I'm not gonna say anything because uh, I was one of the three who went up on the mountain, right, and you know that that triggered this whole thing. But Jesus is gonna drill down deeper into this because he has to teach them this lesson and he needs to teach you and I this lesson as well. This thing of uh, how to be great within the kingdom of God. And, and I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not speaking against ambition. I think ambition is a great thing. You should you should have ambition. You should have ambition. You should have a drive, right? Um, but you need to settle something first within your heart. Who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. They're arguing amongst themselves about which one of them's the greatest. And Jesus could have easily have said, um, "Excuse me, fellas, I'm the greatest. Let me settle this argument for you." I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. He doesn't say that, but he will display that in a very profound way. But he's gotta, he's, he has to get them to see this. And, and Jesus often uses practical illustrations to communicate um, deep truths. And, and that's where they're in the house, they're in Capernaum, he's asking them this question, and, and they're not answering so verse thirty-five it says, and he sat down. Now, anytime a rabbi sits down, you know you're about to be taught a lesson. Culturally, so the rabbi Jesus sits down, and that's a cue for them. He's about to—I think—he's about to teach us a lesson about humility. Yeah, yeah. So hold on tight, right? So he sits down. And he says, he says to them, uh, we—he sits down. He calls them to himself, and he says, if anyone would be first, okay. He must be last of all and servant of all. Oh, you want to be the greatest? You want to be the greatest? Sweet. I love that drive. I love that ambition. That's fantastic. But here's how you get to the top. You stay at the bottom. You stay at the bottom. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, and you should want to be great within the kingdom of God, okay? But we needed to find what that means. The greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant of all. The greatest within the kingdom of God is not the one who stands on the platform. It's not the one who's above cleaning bathrooms. It's not the one who's above hanging out afterwards to talk and pray with people. Any pastors who do that and function their service around that, they're not the greatest within the kingdom. Please understand that. For any pastors, and I can see, because I am a pastor, so I can call out these guys who are like myself. And I think we should be held to a higher standard of accountability. Because I was trained and I was raised, I didn't grow up in church, but I sat under Chuck Smith for a long time. And what I saw from that man, a great man of God. But he was a servant of all. Great man of God, used by God tremendously. Nothing special about him, nothing special about him at all. Other than he's like a giant, like just... Teddy bear, right? Like that's who we, Grandpa Chuck, that's what we called him. But what we witness, and, and, and I've told you guys this before, but when I went to Bible college, I literally just gotten saved right before I went to Bible college, like weeks before I went to Bible college. So I'm already hesitant on this whole church thing anyways. I already have a preconceived idea of how pastors were, although I sat under Pastor Bill Gim, Wild Bill, uh, in Emerald, Texas, for my senior year of high school, uh, before I ended up serving my life to the Lord. And I saw him and he, he lived out his faith. He's a tremendous man of God. He's a servant of all as well. But then I go to this Calvary Chapel thing, which I don't know what that is. Um, and it's in Southern California, big campus, living on a resort for two years. It doesn't get better than that. Southern California, the beach is right there. The mountains are right behind me. It's amazing. It's awesome. And there are hundreds of kids and lots of people talk about Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith, right? And I'm like, "Eh." when people start like talking a lot about leaders, I get a little hesitant. And so I sat as a skeptic for a while, watching him from a distance. What impacted me the most was I would watch this man, a faithful man of God, faithfully teach the word of God, no bells, no whistles, no nothing like that, just straight the Bible. And he loved Jesus. And I'd watch him on the stage. He'd wrap it up. Pray, walk off the stage. Everybody's done. Go outside, and I'd I continue to watch him. I did this for a while, for the first couple months that I was there, and I'd watch him. He'd go to his golf cart because um, he had because it's a big campus. But he's on the gets on his golf cart. But before he did that, he put on his tool belt because they were always doing construction projects, and he'd go right from there. Well, usually he'd go and eat lunch. Okay, let's be honest. The guy liked his food too, um, but uh, I admire that as well. But. He would go and then wherever the construction guys were at, that's where you could find Chuck. And all the whole time, from, from the sanctuary and picking up trash in the parking lot, you know, and and I'm thinking like, well, you're the man, right? Like I'm coming from a world of like, you know, being the best is like that's what you have to do. You gotta excel in the business world, and and that's like you have to be the best. I mean, that's that's the aim. And so I'm watching him I'm like, dude, you're in charge of all this. You shouldn't be picking up trash in a parking lot don't you have people to do that? He's like, I am that person. And I watched him and I just watched him. And that resonated within my heart more than any message he ever taught from the pulpit. And that made such an impression on my heart. I was like, if that's what being a pastor is, then I want to be that guy. Because that seems like something Jesus would do. You want to be great, fantastic, fantastic then let nothing be below you. You step up. If something needs to be done, well, you step up and you, you be there. Somebody needs to be helped. You step up and you help out. No one is beneath you and no job is beneath you. That's what being great in the kingdom of God is. And it is totally opposite of the world we live in. Because to be great within this world means that you develop You achieve so much that you are able to hire people who handle that stuff for you. Within the kingdom of God, the greatest ones are the ones who just show up and they just serve. That's how to be great. So in the midst of this little living room where they're at in Capernaum, he drops this bombshell on them, humbling them. And then even more so, verse 36, he says he took a child And put him in the midst of them. See, that's that practical, real, you know, literal thing of like, I want you to see this. He puts this little kid in the midst of them. And and taking him into his arms, Jesus physically embraces this child. Okay? Remember, you want to hear the heartbeat of the Gospels, then lean into the story, put yourself there. Imagine you're that little kid. And Jesus is embracing you. Jesus calls. He's like, hey, come over here. Puts him right there in the midst of him. And the disciples are watching. And they're like, why is he letting this little kid in here, right? This is grown-up talk, right? Like, you can't. There's a kid's table. You sit at the kid's table. This is this is grown man's business right now, right? He's like, brings him, and he embraces this kid. The, the creator of the universe embraces this little child, and he says to them, whoever receives one such, such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him, the father who sent me. So he, he's, he's using this little kid as just this tremendous little illustration. And in, in the Aramaic, uh, the term for child and servant are the exact same. are the exact same? That might be some good ammunition for some of you parents. Um, you got teenagers. They're like, let me give you a Bible lesson. Uh, let's go back into the original Aramaic and... Uh, you're a servant. Um, that's what the Bible says. Okay, well, you know, remember, you got to be a servant of all, okay? Remember that, all right? But he brings this kid in, in their midst, and he's like, you want to be great? Then be like this kid. Be like this kid. The beautiful thing about kid is, kids is like, they know they're kids, and they act like kids. They, they act like kids, right? It's interesting, and this is getting harder and harder for us to realize within our nation, and here's why. The growing anxiety levels within our country are seeping down into our children's hearts and minds at a rate we have never seen before, ever. Our kids, elementary kids, are dealing with the same stress that people, grown-ups, not even 100 years ago, that grown-ups it's put in very stressful situations are enduring. Our children should not be facing anxiety and stress like they are today. So this is hard because when Jesus puts this kid in the midst of him, this kid is as carefree as can be. You're Jesus? Sweet. I love you. Are you going to die on the cross and raise from the grave? Excellent. Sweet. I love you. Thank you for doing that for me. And the kids just receive that. They believe it and they're like, there's no issues. And, and then they're, they're singing, they're dancing, they're, they're free. They're free. And Jesus is like, you want to be great within the kingdom of God, you need to be like this little guy right here. Be like this little kid. I think the church should be a little bit more carefree in one sense. When's the last time you were singing and dancing in the presence of Jesus? We're like, well, we just did that. Well, that's kind of, I mean, that's a corporate thing for sure. But I'm talking about like just you and him and you're just singing and dancing because of who he is. But it's hard, right? Let's be real. Let's be honest. Heavy things are weighing on all of our hearts and our minds. Our world is upside down right now because there is a war right across the pond and we're all worried that that's going to turn into World War III, which it very well could we, we are seeing inflation like we haven't seen in a while. Everything's going up. And when everything else is going up, guess what else is going up? Stressors, anxiety, cortisol levels, all that stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, the best thing that the church could be is to be just like a kid. And I'm not saying you just like shirk responsibility or you ignore that or you like pretend it's not there. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying I want to put my faith my hope, and my trust into the ruler of the world. I mean, is, is he not the best thing ever? Will he provide for us? Is he the good shepherd, as John chapter 10 tells us? Can we trust him to provide for us daily bread? We can. Can we trust him that he will come back and he is going to rescue his church? Yes, he is. Has he rescued us from the penalty of sin? He has. And I know it's hard because, man, just I, the, the pressures of life, the external pressures, and, and that, I remember Paul talking to the church of Corinth about, we're, we're vessels of clay. And, man, we're feeling that pressure from, from without and from within, you know? And it's just like, I don't know how much more I can take it, Lord, I don't know if, you know, it's that thing of like, I'm either on the verge of a breakdown or a breakthrough and I don't know which is going to happen. But it's like, but man, what I don't want to miss in the midst of all that, because there is a refining process that happens. There's a purification process that we all go through. What I don't want to miss is when Jesus sits his disciples down and, and teaches them very practical, very real lesson about, you should just be like a kid. But Lord, you don't understand. Well, I think I do. I think I do. Even the book of Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who is Jesus who can relate with us. He can sympathize with us. So we're not alone. The pressure you're feeling, the anxiety levels you feel that you carry with you, just like I carry with me at times, learn how to deal with those and manage those a little bit better and all that good stuff. And all that stuff, the Lord knows. He knows. He knows what you're going through. And when I see this little story of like, Jesus just like, you got all the leaders, the 12, they're there. And he's got to call in a little kid to put him right in the midst of these leaders and say, this is, this is the point. This is where you need to be. Be that little kid who I don't know what happened within this little kid, but when, when Jesus embraces this kid, I can only imagine a huge smile on his face. Kids love Jesus. Kids from the Bible. And Jesus loved kids. Disciples, they didn't love kids. They didn't like kids. <laughs> they didn't. They were going to be the last ones to sign up for children's ministry. And they're like, oh, no, I think, uh, what, what else do you need done? I can do anything else other than that, right? Like they, And not even too far from this story, they're going to get on to Jesus for letting the little kids come to him. You're like, what? Yeah, i these guys are relatable because, I mean, it, it's, it, it'll only take you and I a day to forget everything that we've learned about Jesus in one sense, right? They're like, oh, I made that mistake. Yeah, yeah, you did. Hey, guess what? So did the disciples. They, but eventually they, they got it, though. But there's a little kid. He's in their midst. And Jesus is like, you want to be great? Fantastic. Be like this kid. If you look at Calvary Galveston, you want to be great within the kingdom of God? Excellent. Be a servant of all. Just show up to serve. Show up to serve. Well, what about my rewards? Not my business. It's not my business. That's between you and him. Whatever reward I can offer to you is gonna pale in comparison to what he has waiting for you.
2: Hope, hope the hopeless.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.